Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to the Wednesday night Bible study of the Blessed Hope Community Church. I want to welcome you, and uh, I want to wish God best blessing on your on your life. And uh, also want to give God thanks because He has allowed us to see another year, and we see His protective and the providential care over our lives. And uh, God has preserved you, and you. Know that God uh, has preserved your life, then you should give thanks to him. And pray for those uh, who are exposed uh, to uh, the lethal uh, acts of sinners and what they do. So we need to be people who have or who maintain a spirit of prayer. Uh, I have to maintain a spirit of prayer because... What I see, hear, and read, uh, <clears throat> I know that it is only by the grace of God that uh, we have what we have uh, in our possession. So God is good to us. And so uh, this year, uh, we expect great things of God, and I hope that you are expecting great things from God. Uh, God blesses those who are faithful to, to him. And uh, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him out. So I pray that you have uh, decided that you are going to focus on the Lord this year. Um, I say that because it, it, it is vital. Uh, and the other option is not to focus on the Lord and therefore uh, to have one's attention uh, scattered uh, within the cosmos, because the cosmos is designed uh, to distract us and to distract you uh, and me uh, out and away from the Lord. So uh, deciding to focus one's uh, attention on the Lord uh, is a powerful act, and understand that it is, it is a powerful act. Uh, because it means that uh, you have determined uh, what is most important in your life. And when you determine that the Lord is is most important in your life, then you're going to see how the other situations and events and circumstances arrange themselves uh, in an orderly manner. Uh, and you will not be overwhelmed uh, by what you face, there will be challenges. Of course, there will be challenges, but uh, you will have aligned your your life uh, properly before the Lord. And so, uh, with that, let's have a word of prayer and begin our study for this evening. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace that you have extended us through our Redeemer, Jesus. 
And so we thank you that we have been born again through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and that we have been given a brand new life. And that is your divine life, Lord, and you have given us a new mind. And now our lives are qualitatively new and we thank you. And so we ask that you would guide us tonight uh, as we study your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our primary teacher, the author of the scriptures. In his name we give you thanks. Amen. So uh, tonight I'm going to be reading from First Kings, First Kings. <clears throat> and uh, I want to, I'm going to be discussing uh, the prophet who spoke for Yahweh in spite of his circumstances. And so this is a very powerful story. Uh, and the king that we're going to be studying about is, is Ahab. And as you know, he was married uh, to uh, Jezebel, uh, Jezebel. And so uh, Ahab's father was Omri. And uh, the, the Moabite stone that was discovered in 1868 uh, calls Omri the, uh, the conqueror of Moab. So, uh, and he, is a, he was the father of Ahab. We read in 1 Kings chapter 16, uh, verse 25, it reads, quote, But Omri, uh, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. He walked, verse 26, in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, in his sin, which he had caused Israel to commit so that they provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their worthless idols, unquote. So uh, this man, built, uh, Omri, built this city of Samaria, so, uh, and that's uh, is recorded for us in First uh, Kings uh, 16, verse 24. So here's a very powerful king, but, but he was wicked in that he encouraged uh, idolatrous worship among the people of God. And so his son comes along, and uh, we read in verse 28 of chapter 16, the last sentence reads, and Ahab, quote, and Ahab, his son, succeeded him as king, unquote. So, uh, verse uh, 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Esbael, king of the uh, Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger 
than did all the kings of Israel before him. And in Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn, son of Abiram. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, the son of Nun. And this is Joshua 6.6. 6. And uh, you should also read Micah 6.16. Now, I need to lay the foundation for you because uh, this is this is a very important clinical study about about sin. And uh, again, Ahab is a king who trivialized his sin. He trivialized sin. And I have found that uh, people who trivialize sin uh, worship arrogance. And so uh, we see uh, that they're motivated by, by arrogance to, uh, to worship uh, idols as false gods. And the ego is at the center. Their egos are at the center of their lives. So we read this also in the other clinical study in the Old Testament, and that is, is the life of, of King Saul, who built a monument to himself. We see the beginning of arrogance uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, the first home invasion recorded, uh, recorded in the Word of God is in Genesis 3, where the Shining One uh, invaded the home of the, the Adam and his wife. And so uh, we see the legacy of sin there that led to the great Mabul, uh, to the, the great flood, the great flood narrative. Uh, these people, uh, sin had gone on and on and on, and the godly line and uh, the sinful line met and so became corrupted, and so God destroyed uh, the, uh, the, the world of that time. He overthrew them with water. So then uh, the world comes back, and then we again, uh, again, we see the uh, the coming about of of the practice of sin again. Now we go into the history uh, of, of the people of God that began with Abraham and the king. Uh, the the kingdom uh, was divided up into the northern kingdom, uh, Samaria, and the southern kingdom, Judah, and so. Uh, Ahab was a king of, of the northern kingdom uh, called Samaria. It became very, very famous. So um, Ahab's name means uh, uh, resembling the father, resembling the father. And uh, he married uh, the daughter of of. Uh, this uh, unsaved king, Ethbael, the king of the Sidonians. So Ethbael was not only a king, he was uh, a priest of Baal in, in Sidon. And so uh, his daughter Jezebel was a high priestess 
of Baal. So remember uh, the life of Solomon and the foreign wives that he married. They brought uh, their religion with them, and it was through uh, that affiliation that corrupted and compromised the life of King Solomon. And so uh, here this king, Ahab, uh, once again we read that uh, he thought he trivialized his sin. And he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And so uh, not only that, but Ahab commanded uh, his people to to worship uh, Baal. So uh, Jeroboam said, I will worship God, but do it my way. Ahab said, I will uh, follow or I will forget the Lord and follow Baal completely. And so you see uh, the growth out from Jeroboam. And you see uh, we read about Ahab's commitment. And so uh, the northern kingdom, even though it had been, uh, was under sin, it still belonged to God, as did the southern kingdom. So, um, he, and so he married uh, Isabel, and uh, uh, in Hebrew, Isabel, and her name literally means, Baal is my husband. And in Hebrew, her name's also her name also means unchaste, unchaste. Baal is my husband. So uh, she was a a princess and a priestess of Baal, who had now become queen in Samaria, alongside of Ahab. What a formula! And so this relationship uh, is going to be uh, a, a real challenge for the people of God because these two, both Baal and Isabel, brought in state-sponsored religion. And uh, it would be dangerous to oppose them. That is to, it would be dangerous to oppose their mandates uh, and what they said the people should and must do. So um, now there, so there is a separation uh, involved here between uh, what Ahab and uh, Jezebel wanted the people of God to do and what God had in mind for, for his people. So we are under similar circumstances, and God has written this history down for us to study so that uh, we can understand 
uh, you know, that, hey, uh, this is nothing new. This has happened before. Uh, things are different, and I grant that, and the Word of God grants that, but there there are things that you and I can learn uh, from uh, this narrative that, that are important to us. Elijah is a part of this narrative, and Elijah confronts um, Carmel. Elijah confronts the, the priests of Baal. And so in the chapter 18, verse 16, we read, quote, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, uh, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, quote, is that you, O troubler, O troubler, you troubler of Israel, unquote. So this is what uh, Ahab said to the prophet of God. And Elijah replied, quote, verse 18, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So, uh, verse 20, and Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him, unquote. But then we read, but the people said nothing. I mean, this, this language should give you chills because we are experiencing the same thing today, but the people said nothing. And then we have uh, Elijah's uh, famous statement in verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only, quote, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, unquote. So, but that was not true. He was not uh, the only prophet left. That's, that's what he believed. So we have the, the prophets of Baal, and then we have the, prof, the prophets of Asherah. Asherah was a fertility goddess. And so the people are in, in spiritual crisis. How did they get to this point? where they have an apostate king and an apostate queen ruling over them and has commanded that they worship Baal. How did they get to this point? What are the historical situations that led up to this crisis for the people of God? And note carefully the, the strength of Elijah and uh, the way he is able to confront Ahab and then the, the fear of Elijah when faced with Jezebel because 
because of what happened on Mount Carmel, uh, Jezebel, in chapter 19, verse 2, quote, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, quote, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, unquote. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. The queen set him to flight. There is this great victory on Mount Carmel, but then there was this great defeat when he heard the message from Jezebel. So this was a time of crisis, and uh, it was a dangerous time for the people of God. So uh, I want to go and so later on there is a visit uh, in chapter 22 from uh, the king, uh, king Jehoshaphat visits uh, Ahab. And so in chapter 22, verse 1, it reads, For three years there was no war between Aram and Israel. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went down to see the king of Israel. I don't know why what was all involved with this. Uh, the king of Israel has said to his officials, Don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram? So he asked Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight against Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, quote, I am as you are, and my people as your people, my horses as your horses, unquote. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, first, seek the counsel of the Lord. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, quote, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain, unquote. Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, quote, is there not a prophet of the Lord here uh, uh, whom we can inquire of, unquote, the king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, there is still one man through whom I can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. His name is Micaiah of Imlah, son of Imlah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and the king and king Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of uh, uh, Kaniah, had made iron horns, and he declared, quote, this is what the Lord says. 
With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed, unquote. So this is a dramatic presentation. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Quote, attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, unquote, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand, unquote. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, quote, look, as one man, the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably, unquote. So Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can only tell him what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And so, here's Micaiah's words. Quote, attack and be victorious. He answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. So, the king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth? In the name of the Lord. <laughs> so Ahab knew this prophet. He had uh, experience with him, and so he knew this man. Uh, this man had this this uh, prophet was now a prisoner, and so Micaiah comes out, and so he he is he mocks the king, and he is sarcastic. Attack and be victorious. So uh, in verse 6, the yes men collectively said, uh, this is what uh, you will have, you will be victorious. But then Micaiah has a serious tone in verse 17. He is no longer mocking and sarcastic. He becomes very serious. Then uh, Micaiah answered, verse 17, quote, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace, unquote. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me but only bad? Micaiah continued, verse 19, quote, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven, standing around him on his right and on his left. Now remember, uh, the king of Israel and the king of Judah are on their thrones, and they have... 400 men prophesying, prophesying success. And now in 19, verse 19, Micaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the hosts of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there. One suggested this, and another's uh, that. Finally, a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, 
quote, I will entice him, unquote. By what means, the Lord asked, quote, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. Quote, you will succeed in enticing him, unquote, said the Lord. Go and do it. This is very frightening. This is very real. Because the Lord has determined to destroy Ahab. Now, three years earlier, there had uh, been a superficial repentance on Ahab's part to uh, to the Lord. He had re- he had repented of of his of his crimes and of his sins, but it was only superficial. Now, if you remember the people to whom the Lord sent Jonah, uh, the Lord sent Jonah with a message of salvation and grace. Jonah did not want to bring that message to uh, people who had so abused his people. He did not want to bear that message, and that's why he ran. He tried to get to southern Spain, but the Lord stopped him. The gifts and calling of God are not in true repentance. Then God, a hundred years later, God raises up another prophet, and uh, that prophet brings before uh, those people uh, the message of judgment. And God said rebellion will not arise a second time. See, Ahab was abusive, and he thought he could trick and deceive and lie to the Lord with his superficial repentance. God knows a real heart repentance, and God knows uh, those who, who lie to him. So, uh the Lord said, verse 23, so now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. This is Micaiah. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Now, this word is, is really something in this sentence. The Lord has decreed the decisive counsel of God before the fleeing down of the universe into nothingness, the divine decrees. Uh, God is, a, is the, the primal architect. He knows the end from the beginning. And uh, the Lord has decreed disaster for you. Think about Ahab and Jezebel Think about the vineyard of Nebaoth that uh, Jezebel had him murdered because Ahab wanted this, this man's vineyard. And she took it. She had this man executed by, by her hit man. And so land uh, in Israel uh, is to be intergenerational so that the families will always have something. And so, so 
she illegally seized his land. Does that sound familiar? You have you have this apostate king and apostate queen, and with their with their fiat decrees and decisions, they uh, they said we're going to take his vineyard, and we're going to make the people uh, worship and not and, and not any other god. You're going to do this because we say we go, and you're going to do it. Their actions. So Ahab has blood on his hands, blood in his history, and so did uh, Jezebel. And you know what happened to her. So verse 24, then Zedekiah, the son of Keniah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the spirit from the Lord go? When he went from me to speak to you, quote, unquote, he asked. He slapped it. And notice the spirit of the cosmos. Notice how they act when they don't want to hear the truth. Amos was asked to leave because the weight of his words were too much to bear for the kingdom. In Jeremiah sent the word of the Lord written down to the king. The king took a knife and cut the word of God up and put the pieces into his fire pot with which, uh, which with he, he warmed himself at his winter palace. So they show you by their actions that not only do they trivialize the word of God, they're in active rebellion against his word because uh, God's word does not speak what they wish to hear. The 400 prophets did. They lied. They gave the king message, the, the king the message that he wanted, but he knew, even Ahab in his wicked heart knew that there was this other message. And Ahab said, I hate him. So now this man goes up and he slapped Micaiah in the face. Micaiah replied, verse 25, so you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room, unquote. So this prophet speaks the word of God because he has seen God seated upon his throne, he has seen the divine majesty. And having seen uncreated reality and the divine majesty, there's no fear in his heart of earthly kings and what they can do. So this insult this man is insulted by the truth. And so Micaiah says to him, Quote, you will find out on the day you go to hide in an inner room. Isn't that what they do? And we read in the book of Revelation that when the Lord judges this cosmos, uh, and they know he's coming, uh, they will hide themselves, and they will cry out to the rocks, uh, hide, uh, fall upon us, 
and hide us from the face of him that sits upon the throne because the great day of his wrath has come and who will be able to stand? Puny arrogance. Yeah. It is what they use to gain favor with one another. Please read the book of Jude. This is what they pass around with each other. And these arrogant prophets, some think that these prophets were not pagan prophets, but uh, because about three years ago Ahab had repented, uh, they thought that he was on God's side. But I happen to believe that they were pagan prophets. They had joined with him, and they were a part of his state-sponsored, state-engendered worship. You will worship the way we tell you. So, verse 26, the king of Israel then ordered, quote, take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, quote, this is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return Ahab's order. Give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Verse 28, Micaiah declared, quote, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me, unquote. Then he added, quote, mark my words, all you people, unquote. I believe that Micaiah, the Lord had spoken to him, and he knew what he was talking about. There were two kings. There were 400 prophets, but a lying spirit. had convinced them to continue on in their lives. Ahab wanted to be deceived. And so God would give him what he wanted. Throw the prophet in prison, lock him up, give him nothing but bread and water, until I return safely. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. So they were in the war. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, quote, I will enter the battle in disguise. <laughs> Notice what Jehoshaphat said. I'm going to enter, I'm going to go into battle disguise. But you... You, you wear your, your royal robes, unquote. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariot commanders to fight any, uh, with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. Listen. God was after him. 
And when the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, surely this is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him. But when Jehoshaphat cried out, the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel and stopped pursuing him. So they leave him alone. Now this is what this is what what God does. This is verse thirty four. Quote But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, everyone to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried him there. They washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria where the prostitutes bathed. Dogs licked up his blood as the word of the Lord had declared. So, as for the other events of Ahab's reign, including all he did, the palace he built and inlaid with ivory and the cities he fortified, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Ahab wrestled with his fathers, and Azariah, his son, succeeded him, succeeded him as king. So my Bible tells me there is pleasure in sin for a season. And there are people, and, and we read that Moses, uh, he left all that stuff. And he, he to identify and suffer with the people of God. Jesus left the glory of heaven, the eternal glory of heaven, and robed himself in flesh for our salvation. God is not a man that he should lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Man believed. And please read the book of Ecclesiastes. That's because uh, sin, a sentence of sin, isn't executed immediately. They think that 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 they're going to escape. So there is no escaping sin. The lie that people want to believe. This is Ecclesiastes eight eleven. Quote: When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out. The hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Although a wicked man commits a hundred crimes and still lives a long time, I know that it will go better with God-fearing men who are reverent before God. Beloved, don't play with sin and don't let sin lead you down the path where you believe the lie that you're never going to be judged or you never have to face God in judgment. You don't want to face God in judgment. You want to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord in spite of his challenges. You want to honor God. 
and you want to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You want to bear fruit so that you can have a wonderful harvest to present before your Savior. When you stand before him, good evening. My name is Dr. Josiah Rich, and God bless you.